Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Life is an adventure. It's not a package tour. Eckhart Tolle. My tent stakes came out. My tent poles came out. Like there is my sleeping pad was literally floating in my tent. And I had posted this video about it. And my friend Lori, she messaged me and she's like, why didn't I realize that you are hiking even in the rain? And that like, you have to, like if it rains, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm like, yeah, like I, I can't just sit around. It's either I'm walking in the rain or I'm not walking at all. And that was a big mental switch for me about social media. Like a lot of people really just think and see it as this magical journey and like you're saying it, it puts this wrong perspective and you know somebody somebody who's just getting into the backpacking world might be like wow this is the most exciting thing ever and not realize that the universe is ultimately going to poop on you i'm doc and this is the john freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
Well, this week we are talking with an experienced through hiker who has, has some big hikes under her belt. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirror Pod, Jocelyn Smith. How's it going, Jocelyn? Couldn't be better today. I'm in a good place. <laughs> nice. Good place mentally or, or uh, geographically? I would say maybe both. Maybe both today. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good combo. Hey, Jocelyn, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? I definitely have. I, uh, I spent the last two days kind of moseying through some of them and listening here or there to different things I found interesting. Nice. And did you find anything interesting? Did you have a particular uh, favorite guest, maybe? Um, I, I forget his name. I listened to your Base Jumper podcast today. Um, that was that was really cool. I've, I've always been interested in base jumping and wingsuits and that. So that was, it really sparked my interest. That was probably Zeeshan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, uh, uh, those people who jump off of mountains with parachutes, that's, that's just craziness. That, that is next level type two fun. Definitely. I, uh, I don't know if I have that in me, but I respect it a lot. <laughs> have you ever been skydiving? I did. When I turned 18, total rebel child moment, I was like, screw you, parents. I'm going skydiving. I'm out of here. I'm going in a plane. Goodbye. And ever since then, the adrenaline has never quite hit me the same way. Yeah, it seems like you'd always be looking for a fix. I mean, you get started down that rabbit hole and watch out. It's pretty dangerous. I I would say that uh, amusement parks aren't as fun anymore after jumping out of a plane. (laughs) Now I think Zeeshan and Moab Joe before him in another episode with a with a skydiver and a squirrel suit flyer, I think they both said that in order to get your your uh, wingsuit license or wingsuit permit, you have to do over four hundred jumps out of a plane. Oof, that's um three hundred ninety nine more than I have under my belt. <laughs> okay. All right, so if you go that route, you've got some work work out in front of you. <laughs> a lot of work to do for sure. Okay. So we primarily go by trail names on the podcast. So doc doesn't appear on my paycheck or my driver's license, but that's what we go by here. Do you, have you picked up a, a trail name in your experience on the trails? You know, I got a, I got a really special trail name. I would say there's a, a lot of people that question me when I tell them, but my trail name is Balsack. Balsack. Not, not B-A, not B-A-L-Z-A-C, like the author slash philosopher this is uh b-a-l-l-s-a-c-k balsack like the nuts is usually what follows (laughs) like the nuts yeah (laughs) you know what i i always say this i'm I'm always on the lookout for a good episode title and i think we may have just found it the the episode title for this episode might be like the nuts i feel really good about that i think that uh some people might be interested in clickbait that for sure <laughs> now as good as the trail names get it's always better when we hear the story behind the trail name how did you acquire Ballsack? so i honestly i wish it was a better story but on the backstory goes i was a dance teacher for six years prior to hiking the uh, appalachian trail and in our classes we would use these massage balls that were like double balls in a sock like two tennis balls tied together in a sock and they're very versatile so on the Appalachian Trail I carried a foam double ball attached to the bottom of my pack and eventually one day we're sitting around the fire I think this is literally day three 
And I'm like rolling out my feet. I'm going up against a tree, like Papa Bear style, rolling out with this ball. And some guy is like, I want to touch your balls. And then it turned into this whole like phenomenon of all these people being like, I want to touch your balls. Can I use your balls? Like, let me get in there with those balls. And I'm like, I'm literally going to end up with a dumb name, like ball sack. If you guys keep saying that and they're like, yeah, you are. And now you are ball sack. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that's not happening. I can't accept that. And uh, yeah, here we are two years later crushing the name ball sack and I even got new balls for my hike this year, so it felt felt really appropriate. <laughs> ball sack. What what a great conversation starter to have the, <laughs> the two balls hanging off your pack like that. I mean, I'm reminded of those big, you know, raised up trucks with the uh, the the balls hanging off the off the back and the trailer hitch. Yeah, my backpack had truck nuts. Essentially, I have it right here if you want to see a visual. Truck nuts. Truck nuts. Yeah. That, that's also a valid candidate for the title of this episode. Truck nuts. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, something special for sure. <laughs> All right. Now, since you've listened to a, a few episodes, you know that we have a segment towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And that's mm-hmm. where I will turn to you, Ball Sack, and I will ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Channeling right now. Okay. Now, of course, you are expected to drop trail wisdom throughout the episode, but you will be on the hook for the official pro tip at the end. Excellent. I'll be I'll be keeping that in mind and uh, putting something together that's really good. <laughs> okay. Looking forward to it. The must bring gear review. All right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, what is your must-bring piece of gear? I'm going to go with something very basic and traditional, maybe an underrated piece of equipment, and that is called the uh, Tokes Long Spoon. Oh. Yep. I'm, and there's a reason behind that. I've had multiple spoon uh, fatalities on the trail, I would say. And uh, bringing a spoon is really important, it turns out, when you need to eat ramen noodles and you know things out of a crushed chip bag. That long spoon gets right in there, really gets to the bottom of it. And more than once have I lost said spoon and had to uh, find other resources. <laughs> Yeah, I think a rookie mistake is bringing too short of an eating utensil, whether it be a spork or a fork or something, and your knuckles just consistently get, you know, foodie. Nobody wants that. Nobody should be licking their fingers out on the trail. And honestly, I believe in something called the fork cartel. And if you're a spork or a fork user, it's just it doesn't work out there. So you got to be careful about those people. What is the fork cartel? (laughs) I thought you'd never ask. Uh, The fork cartel is uh, a group of people who use forks to eat watermelon, fruits, donuts, all sorts of things. When in reality, the... uh, (laughs) the, uh, The appropriate thing to be using for those items is a spoon. You eat your donuts with a spoon? Absolutely. Then you don't lose the sprinkles. It's so important. 
Wow. That, you know what, I'm, you know, we, we've got a segment <laughs> coming up in just a second called the hiking pole. That might be a new question in the hiking pole. <laughs> what I'm do you eat your donuts with? Some, what what, what yeah. piece of silverware do you eat your, eat your donuts with? And anything other than your fingers is almost sociopathic. Yeah, it does. You know, it does say a lot about a person, uh, how they eat their donuts. It's, it's a pretty important thing to me, honestly. <laughs> All right. Favorite donut. This is not part of the hiking pole. This is just a, this is, this is pre-hiking pole. I want to establish a baseline for you. What is your favorite donut? I'm going to go with a Boston cream today, but it fluctuates between Boston cream and like just an old fashioned glazed donut. Hmm. You know, for all of our listeners out there, there's only one right question to favorite donut and that is apple fritter. (gasps) Oh my God. That might be correct. I forgot you, about you, apple fritters. You cannot beat a good apple fritter. Are you kidding me? Fresh, warm, like warm right out of the morning oven. It's ridiculous. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make an allowance. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's the hiking pole. Speaking of the hiking pole, this is P-O-L-L, not P-O-L-E, not like the kind of pole you you hold in your hand on a hike, but this is a, a survey like a survey this is a seven question survey to help me evaluate your level of sanity that makes me nervous <laughs> okay if i were to ask your 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 parents let's start with your parents if i were to ask your parents how would how would you rate jocelyn's sanity what's what's her level of sanity on a scale from one to a hundred with 100 being completely sane what do you think they would give you probably like a 30 <laughs> a 30 Wow. Oh, yeah. I'm a pastor's kid gone rogue. So my parents think everything I do is is crazy, but in a good way. <laughs> I love it. Pastor's kid go gone rogue. You you will have the best stories, I'm sure. <laughs> stories, maybe experiences that were less than ideal, but for sure, uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> Did you happen to listen to the Runaway Missionary episode with Wesley Tills? No, but I'm going to now. <laughs> oh, what a story. I, I will just give you a little preview. And uh, for any of you listeners out there who have not listened to that episode, here's a little taste and you need to tune in and listen because it is a fascinating story. Wesley Tills was on his mission and he was in Northern California and he was he was not feeling it. He was He was searching for answers. He was wondering why he didn't feel connected to his mission, his purpose. And so he went to the church. And he decided to pray on it and look for answers. And he was there for a couple of days and his eyes settled on this map that was on the wall inside the church. And it was a map of California. And on that, on that map of California was this line, this zigzagging line going North to South. And he looked at it a little more closely and it was the PCT. And so God, God spoke to him through that map and he decided right then and there, that missionary work was not for him and he was going to hike the PCT. And so he, he uh, packed up his stuff and he was getting ready to leave the next day. And he heard, he heard through the, I don't know, missionary grapevine that uh, the church had found out about this and they were sending out an an extraction team to bring him in and talk to him and convince him to stay. And he heard this and he threw all his stuff together and he skedaddled in the middle of the night and never looked back. And the legend of the runaway missionary 
in the Mormon community has only grown over the years. So you, you really need to tune into that episode and listen to what actually happened versus what the rumors are of, of what happened with him. It, it's an, it's an extraordinary story. I would love to listen to that. That sounds right up my alley. I'm a big promoter of people uh, finding other means of spirituality outside of the church. So sounds like he got what he was looking for. Absolutely. All right. Are you ready for this seven question poll? I've never been more ready. Let's bring it on. Okay. We're going to start off with some easy questions. Number right. one. Not sweating or anything. Not number one. <laughs> trekking poles or no trekking poles out there for you? Oof. I'm a, I'm kind of an in-betweener. I'm a one pole kind of gal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, you're, I, already, I, you're already starting off question number one with an alternative answer. <laughs> I did. I did carry two poles on my AT journey. And this year I said, I don't want to carry two. I'm going to carry one. So yeah, I'm a one pole kind of girl. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but. Okay. That means I've already adjusted your point total. So don't worry. All right. Question number two, boots or trail runners? Again, alternative universe here. I wear a boot trail runner hybrid made by Hoka. They do uh, the speed goat mids. So they have the support, the ankle support that a lot of people look for in a boot, uh, but they're considered trail runners. I think I've, I've seen those recently, the speed goats. Uh, how do you like them? Love them. They uh, provided many miles of joy and wonder for me pain-free, blister-free. That's the important part. I mean, so many people think that they have to, you know, it's hiking. And I think novices think that if they're hiking, they need to wear boots. That's what they've heard about. That's what they know about. They're going to wear boots. And if you're going on an extended hike, sometimes boots will lead to some, some foot issues. A hundred percent. They just, you know, leather boots, the big thick boots, they get wet. And then, you know, maybe you get trench foot or have tons of issues and nobody wants that out there. <laughs> Yeah. Ballsack, can you explain to us what trench foot is? Uh, you know, I don't know too much about it besides that it's basically when your foot gets oversaturated with water, doesn't have time to dry. And then when it does dry, it cracks your feet. Um, it's it's kind of gross. It's like basically a fungus, I believe, that takes over your feet. I saw I met a girl last year with trench foot and she showed me her feet and it was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life. They smelled real rank. I always look for good side paths down these down these trails to explore other issues. Do you know where trench foot originated from? I feel like I should know, and you're going to tell me, and I'm going to know as soon as you say, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. World War One, In World War One, in the European offensive, in, in, in on the front there, they had trenches. They had these these trenches where the men lived in. Uh, to fight the battle so they keep a low profile and those trenches would fill up with water when it rained and so for days for weeks on end their feet would be immersed in water and they would get exactly what you described trench foot and if Ugh. you had trench foot long enough and it got bad enough you know big big chunks of your of your skin and flesh would just slough off and that, that was a major problem that uh, doesn't sound so great i'm really glad i never experienced that <laughs> Yes. Keep your feet dry. Absolutely. It's no problem out on the PCT. Very dry out there, it turns out. <laughs> These days, yes. All right. Question number three, your preferred shelter system. 
All right. Do you do Ooh. tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or are you a cowboy camper? I'm a big tent girl personally, but I also love to cowboy camp. So if I'm up on a ridgeline, I'm somewhere above the trees or on a cliff and there's stars coming out, you betcha I am taking out my pad and throwing it right on the ground. But uh, sometimes I think my tent's a security space and I like to go crawl into it. Nobody bothers me at the end of the day and it's bug free, which is pretty nice. Pretty nice to have a bug free situation. But I kind of fluctuate between the two, I would say pretty equally. Okay. That's a solid answer. No points off. <sighs> Getting nervous still. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What preferred sleeping system, sleeping bag or quilt? I, I have done both. So on the AT, I had a sleeping bag and um, I'm claustrophobic. So it turned out that I didn't really love not being able to freak out in the middle of the night and have my legs out of my sleeping pad. So I tried a quilt this year. And once I figured out how to use it properly, <laughs> which took some time, it was really, really beneficial. It could be a blanket. It can be a sleeping bag. It can be thrown to the side in the middle of the night instead of having to crawl out of it if you got to go pee or something. I think overall the quilts are a more efficient system if you can get over the like mini draft that happens sometimes, which people always complain about. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have an experience to share where I was um, at Thousand Island Lake and it was in late September very cold, you know, and in for you, for the extreme through hikers out there, this is probably not an issue, but for me, you know, just, you know, normal average Joe kind of guy out there <laughs> hiking, um, it was pretty damn cold. And so I was in six layers of clothes because I, you know, I, I was, I was pushing the envelope there of trying to be ultralight in a cold situation. And, mm. it, you know, I, it just wasn't the right approach. So I wore everything I had, I had six layers of clothes on and I had a, uh, a tarp and a tent. I'm sorry, a, a tarp and a, a a quilt. And, you know, you kind of get situated and you're down for the night. And then like half hour later, you're like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. And so, you know, getting, getting out of there and getting out of the, the, you know, the getting down to, down to business and then your six layers of clothing, I mean, it's just, <laughs> a, you know, a pain. You're like, you just get comfortable and you're like, oh no, oh no. It's so the, I think the quilt helps in that, in that situation. Are you a, like, I'm going to pee in the vestibule kind of guy? Cause I, I have, I'm not going to lie. I have peed in my vestibule before. And I hear that it's pretty common out on the trail for people to be peeing in their vestibules. Wow. You know, that's, that's the first time I've had somebody admit that on the show. So congratulations there, Balsack. You really got to bring light to uh, the reality of the trail mm -hmm. sometimes. That's right. You know, it's Instagram versus reality, right? exactly nobody That's ever exactly posts on instagram it. having to pee in your vestibule sometimes in the middle of the night when it's downpouring and it's thundering and there's already a bunch of rain in your tent you you really don't want to go outside and be wet when you go back to bed so it becomes this uh interesting struggle to figure out how to, how to really pee in your vestibule but it, yeah. i honestly think it's an art form <laughs> There's real skill involved there. I mean, I think you could probably even make the argument that you're marking your territory and that, you know, it's a, you know, bear prevention skill as well. 
I have heard a rumor that some people pee a circle around their tent to prevent the bears from coming, but uh, I don't have that skill set because that involves a lot of different different activities for me. <laughs> you would have to be well hydrated to pee around your tent. Yeah, unless you're like a teeny tiny super person, which I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to make the executive decision, game time decision, when I was in the middle of a storm in uh, at Tyndall, Tyndall Frog Ponds, just uh, south of Forester Pass. Okay, and yeah. And had like the storm of the century come through. And it was it was just coming down for hours and hours oh. and hours, thunder and lightning, the whole deal. And uh, of course, at that time, my body says, hey, I got to pee. <laughs> so suffice it to go. say that I didn't drink out of that water bottle again the rest of the trip. Ooh. That's a skill set in its own. I uh, I know a couple people who have mastered the Ziploc P, which I'm still working on that personally. <laughs> the Ziploc <laughs> P, nice. <laughs> All right. Hey, back to the poll. Um, question number four, very important question. Mm. This could this could make or break the, the hiking pole right here for you. So don't be nervous. Uh oh. When it comes to food, are you stove? cold soak or stoveless i'm a stove girl i believe in traditional style hiking i want hot ramen noodles i like a cup of tea before i go to bed or a hot chocolate but um i did make a really dumb mistake on the appalachian trail of getting rid of my stove in vermont and new hampshire for some god-awful reason and it was it was the worst thing I ever did. I ate so many honey buns. I thought I was going to die. Have you tried cold soaking? Uh, kind of. I would say I, I'm more veered into the like no, no soaking anything at all terrain. Like couscous in a Ziploc, but that was about it for the cold soaking game for me. Yeah, I had Aaron Mayhew on the podcast uh, a couple seasons ago. She's with, um, I think she's Backcountry Foodie, and she, you know, she gave me the, you know, the premier membership, and she gave me all kinds of recipes, and she swore by cold soaking. She had me sold on it. I was, I was ready to go to bat <laughs> on cold soaking, and last summer I gave it a real shot. I, I went, you know, three or four days with just cold soak recipes, and saw the rest of my crew out there having nice hot food at the end of a, a long day, and I, I, I just couldn't do it. I, yeah, I agree with that. In my, I call it the human world. In the human world, I've worked in really nice restaurants and bars for 12 years. And my food standard is very trashy on the trail. But there's one thing that I, I hold myself to. And that's a hot meal at the end of the day. You earned it. The human world. We're, we're going to explore the human world with you a little <laughs> bit later. I, I, I It's good to know that you worked in the restaurant and bar industry because a lot of good stories usually come from that environment. Absolutely. It's, it's like a therapy for people who don't know how to pay for therapy. <laughs> nice. All right. Question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? Mm. I'm going to go with below the tree line. Uh, I love moss. I love roots. I love rocks. I love to see the little weird creatures crawling all over the earth. I do love a good ridge line. I love being above the trees, but there's something about just being 
tucked away. It feels like feels like you're in a blanket of of nature. Okay. You know, I could almost predict that with you, you know, kind of being a tent girl. I mean, you like the tent, you like the kind of like the, uh, you know, the protection, the surround, the, the sense of protection. I don't know if it's actual protection, but the sense of protection. And so tree cover is the same thing for you. Absolutely. And you just, you know, you see all sorts of stuff in uh, the green tunnel, as some would say. Some people hate it. I happen to love it. Okay. Now you've got a lot of miles under your, under your, uh, your hokas. Um, do. do you pack for, this is question number seven. Do you pack for comfort or speed? Last year I packed for comfort this year. I packed for speed. I had, um, a really specific intention with my PCT through hike that I ended up kind of throwing out the window when I got to Kennedy Meadows South, uh, for a lot of different reasons. But I would say that I'm kind of an in-between my pack is small, I just carry what I need. I'm a one pair of clothes. I don't have sleep clothes. I don't have extra socks, like that kind of person. But then I'll carry like a book or something ridiculous. Like I had a watermelon for a little while with me one time. And, you know, things, items become important out there. And if you have a heavy pack already, you don't get the opportunity to carry a hot dog shirt or something fun on the trail that kind of lifts other people's spirits. So. Now you've been out on the AT and the PCT and you're telling me that you only carry one pair of clothes, the clo- the pair, the, 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 the clothing that you're wearing. Basically on, on the AT, I had, I had like a sleep outfit and stuff because it was much colder and you're wet all the time. But on the PCT, I had hiking shorts, hiking shirt, sports bra. And, and then I had a pair of wind pants and that was like, that was my system besides a warm layer. I didn't have like a change of clothes. I don't believe in underwear as a concept. Uh, so I just kind of, you know, went town to town. My shorts got destroyed, absolutely destroyed. I did have to replace them, which was unfortunate, but I don't know. Less, now, if, less is more. If you don't believe in underwear and your shorts get destroyed, that could be, that could be a dicey situation. Uh, you know, it, it can be, thank God for gear tape and duct tape and Luco tape and, sharpies all sorts of all sorts of exciting things all right hey let me do some quick math here to add up your 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 score i'm going to carry the carry the three i'm going to divide by pi and multiply by root five there's a secret formula here i believe it we're going to adjust for the atmospheric pressure available at the top of mount whitney and i come up with a a score of 55 i i need to, to tell you that there's an automatic 20 point deduction for anybody who's completed a long trail because that's, you know, you're, you're already starting off on the crazy side there. That feels pretty good. That's, that's like 25 more points than I gave myself for my parents. So I feel like I'm winning. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Now, what was your pack weight on the, on the AT and the PCT? Um, I think on the AT when I started, I was kind of in a budget gear mode because I had never been on a backpacking trip before. So I just bought kind of whatever made sense that was cheap. And I think it was around 19 pounds without food or water, which is kind of like pretty average for a beginner hiker, I would say. And then this year I was like, I'm not doing that again. That's ridiculous. So I believe it was around nine to 11 pounds without my winter and like bear can stuff that you needed in the Sierras. 
Okay. Is it your experience that beginner hikers tend to overpack? I think you overpack and you also, you also don't know what you like. So you get told you need this huge tent or this specific sleeping bag, and maybe you can't afford uh, a quilt or something more lightweight. So you kind of make decisions based upon your availability to finances. And then also like, how much do you really want to spend if you don't even, if you don't even know if you like what you're about to do. That was kind of my mindset was what if I get out there and I hate it. That's true. Then then I spent all that money for no reason. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, if you want to go really ultralight and you want to buy quality, lightweight stuff, it's going to cost you a pretty penny. Uh, yeah, it sure did this year. <laughs> so what So what did your kit, what did it cost this year? What you took out there? I don't know the total. I refused to uh, think about that, but I replaced, <laughs> I replaced my big three. So I replaced my backpack, my uh, sleep system, and then also my tent. So that alone, I would say, was around two grand just to replace those items, which was not super exciting. And in retrospect, it's like if you could complete a long trail with the gear you had, why are you buying new gear if you already did that? But I wanted to feel cool or whatever with new stuff. <laughs> hey, Ballsack, are you familiar with a, a similar trail name, Ginger Balls? Have you heard of I am not. I heard you talk about ginger balls on um, your one of your podcasts. And then I also am friends with Wow. And he's talked a lot about Uncle Nutsack. So there's there's a few not not related names. Yeah, a few not related names out there. (laughs) (laughs) Ginger balls is a great case study when we're talking about pack weight because he was he was uh, US Navy. And he was in there for, he was a lifer and he retired. He retired as a Lieutenant commander and he had gotten into his mind about 10 years before his retirement, this idea of doing the AT. And so he retired and he said he was going to do it. So he, he got rid of all of his, his belongings and, and, you know, streamlined and, and uh, got ready for the AT. He showed up to the, to Springer mountain with a pack with, it had three of everything because he was Navy. You know, he, he was prepared. If the first thing went bad, he had a second and a third to replace it just in case. I mean, he was not going to be without whatever he needed. So his pack was huge. It was like, I don't know, 50, 60 pounds. And he shows up to Springer Mountain and he runs into on the first day, he runs into Scrapbook, who is 21 years old. And unbeknownst to Ginger Balls, the AT is his third long trail, American long trail. So he's going for his triple crown. So he's got some experience. And this is the funniest image that I have because scrapbook, knowing what he does, knowing what he, what he knows. And from his experience, he's carrying a pack that, you know, all, all in probably weighs 13 pounds. And so (laughs) if you can imagine this image of the two of them meeting at Springer, uh, the trail to Springer, and they're looking at each other and they're both thinking about the other person. Oh, no way. This guy is not going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, how hilarious. And they, they have become fast friends. They did most of the AT together and they've done other, other hikes together and they've both been guests on the podcast. And it's really interesting to hear their perspective and ginger balls quickly learned that uh scrapbook had it right. I mean, that's the way, that's the way to do it. You don't need three of everything. No, it's funny. You say that I actually, um, on the AT like two or three, wherever Gooch Gap shelter is not too far into the trail. There was a man there that arrived and he was 
in the Navy or military of some sort. And he had two backpacks. He had one literally on the front and on the back. And we were all joking. We're like, we're going to call you two pack. And he's like, you can't do that. We're like, like you like literally the like the rapper. Yeah. And we're <laughs> like, dude, you literally have a cast iron attached to the back, like a little egg cast iron. And he, uh, he ended up making it. He did get rid of one of his packs, but he finally over the course of some miles accepted the name two pack because it was absolutely ridiculous. What a great trail name. It has no reference to nuts or balls, but I mean, what a great trail name. <laughs> well, we'll let him have that one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, Ballsack, before we get too far on the trail, let's let's back up a little bit. We would love to hear your background, where you grew up. Did you play sports and hobbies in in, uh, in high school or as a, as a youth? And how did you get involved in the thru-hiking cult? Because let's face it, any any group that convinces you to live in the dirt for weeks and months on end has to be a cult. No judgment. I'm just calling like it is. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm technically I'm born and raised in Connecticut. I don't like to tell people that because I don't love Connecticut. So um, what's not to love about Connecticut? You know, it's just not for me. There's no there's no mountains there, and okay. I was such such an outdoorsy kid and just always kind of seeking more. So. I ended up moving to Vermont about 13 years ago. So it feels like home. It's where I grew up as an adult is up in Vermont in Burlington. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where home is for me. I played volleyball, track across country in high school, always running around in the woods, romping around, taught dance classes for six years up in Burlington, as well as just peak bagging every mountain I could in Vermont before really realizing that there was these trail systems you know um and then how i got into the through hiking culture is a just a strange kind of annoying long story but it started way back when i was like five years old my grandfather would take my family up to baxter state park in maine and we would be walking around and we'd see these white blazes on these trees and me being this young child i'm like what the heck is that why is somebody painting on the trees and i found out that it was it was a trail system that went from Georgia to Maine and you're five. So you don't really understand what that means. But as I grew older and we continued to visit these different places in Maine and Vermont, where my family was extended family, um, I would beg to go on a, a hike. And I think when I was 14, we were up in Vermont near Rutland, near Clarendon Gorge. And I told my parents, like, I want to go on a hike while we're here. And they're just like, okay, like, we'll take you on this hike. So we went on a nine mile day hike, me, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And I think all of them were miserable, except for me. I felt like I was in heaven. So I got addicted to this idea of hiking the Appalachian Trail for a really long time, but it just, it never made sense. I'm like, how am I going to live in the woods for six months? That makes no sense. So it just kind of, lived in my brain and eventually I met this wonderful human named Spam Cake in Burlington, Vermont. She had hiked the long trail and she was a friend of mine and she was going out to hike the PCT, I believe in 2019. I could be wrong about that, but it was inspiring to me. And I'm like, well, she quit her job and went across the country and is hiking this thing. So what is it that's holding me back? And during COVID, I lost my job. I lost my dance teaching job. My apartment lease was ending. And all of a sudden, there was this like, ah, moment. And I was like, 
I'm going on the AT. Screw this. I don't want to do whatever is going on with COVID. So I started researching and really diving in and decided that that's what I was going to do. So fell in love with it instantly. It all came together. Sure did. I always think it's fascinating to hear the story when people, you know, long trail hikers first became aware of a trail that goes 2000 plus miles, whether it's the AT or if it goes from, from Mexico to Canada, like the CDT or the PCT and how that kind of burrows into their brain and just kind of festers for a while. And, you know, they keep coming back to it. And I think it's also important that they subsequently have an experience with someone who is going to do it or who is, who has done it. And it kind of that, 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 you know, proof of concept, that efficacy comes through and they say, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it. And, and those, those pieces come together and next thing you know, they're out on the trail. Absolutely. I, I definitely had those moments because it just seemed like such such like a baffling concept that people would quit their jobs. And and at that point in my life before COVID kind of took everything away, I was in my prime. I was managing a bar that I had been working at for six years. I was at the height of my dance career. And I had this beautiful apartment, this beautiful dance studio inside my apartment. And then all of a sudden, I kind of realized that none of that meant anything to me. And I had spent my whole life working to be in that space. And I was like, I don't, I don't care about this. I want to live out of a backpack. Like, screw it. Hey, Balsack, we have some more candidates for the the episode title. We've got uh, The Human World. We've got I Love Moss. And we've got I Was In My Prime. <laughs> I love all of those. That's hilarious. Nice. I think I say a lot of things that I don't realize are kind of ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. This is This is great. This is great. So before we go to break, uh, please share with us how you currently pay the bills. How do you finance your adventures? Currently, I am still a career bartender. Um, I've been doing that my whole life. So got into the industry when I was underage at 17 and started bartending in Massachusetts when I was there. And it just, I realized how lucrative it was and I never wanted to go to college. My my only goal was the the AT at that point. So got into the bartending world. It was great. And then teaching dance on the side. I uh, am trying to extend currently right now in my life. I'm trying to extend my skill set and finances into other things. So I would like to be writing more, writing for companies, writing for gear reviews, blogs or whatever. It's kind of a side passion of mine that I'm trying to, to get into. And then yeah, see where it goes. But for right now, I'm just your good old bar wench. Bar wench. You and Scrapbook seem like kindred spirits because as the rest of his classmates at his high school were, were thinking about uh, you know post-graduation trips and college and, and that kind of stuff, final exams, his senior year, he was he was mapping out how he was going to hike the PCT. And he got his, he actually got his mom to drop him off at the Mexican border by himself at the age of 18 to hike the PCT. That's incredible. My parents would uh, not have let that happen, but they did let me jump out of a plane. So I guess I'll take, take my uh, chances with either. <laughs> All right. And Balsack, uh, AKA bar wench. What is your best bar story? Have you, have you met some interesting people at the bar? 
I've met the most interesting people at the bar. I've met famous people. I've served Bernie Sanders before, um, which is really cool. Not at a bar. He was in a restaurant I was managing at the time. Oh, I was going to ask I you, what, met, is, what is Bernie Sanders' go-to drink? Uh, at the, at that time, it was a Italian wine bar set, and he drank Cabernet that night. Okay. A good cab. Yeah. He's a cab man. I like that. He's a cab man. Yeah. And as far as stories, like the only funny stories I think I have are, are just, just kind of this ridiculous transition of working in nice bars and like high end restaurants. And then last winter I worked up in a nightclub on Mount Killington called the pickle barrel. I've never worked in a nightclub before. People are crazy. Like they're paying like $17 for a vodka Red Bull hammered at two in the morning, trying to get my phone number. And so I started just screwing with people and I'm like, all right, you want my phone number? It's $20. And they're like, I'm not giving you $20 for your phone number. I'm like, well, I'm not giving you my phone number. And they're all, Oh, well, 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 okay. I guess I could. I'm like, yeah, if you're not willing to pay $20 for my phone number, you're not going to buy me a drink when we go on a date. And so I would end up giving them a phone number and I'd give them like, either like a friend's number sometimes don't tell oh, my mom this your friend's number your, your friends yeah. must love you oh yeah i my mom will hate this when she listens to this but i've given a few people my mom's phone number and i'm just like waiting for the moment that they hit her up and they're like hey girl i met at pickle barrel and it's like no this is her mom <laughs> oh my gosh i would love to have your mom on just to comment on that <laughs> She, has, she she ever, has, she, has she ever revealed that she got some calls? No, she hasn't. So, so I don't know about all that. And I mean, if she, if she has, she hasn't told me, but also it's two in the morning and I, I could definitely be giving away the wrong phone number. I don't always remember the right ones. I just envision family gatherings, you know, Thanksgiving holidays, whatever you guys are together. And there's just awkward there's this awkward bit between the two of you that she know you know, you know that you've given out her phone number, but you haven't said anything to her. And she knows, I mean, she has talked to people who have referred to you and where you worked and yet she's not saying anything to you. It's like this big, it's, it's the 600 pound gorilla sitting on the table between the two of you. It sure is. And I mean, honestly, they're lucky. I don't give them my dad's number because he would rip them a new one, which would be hilarious in his pastor like way. Yeah, well, he's not a pastor anymore. That was oh. that was back in the day. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to get down to your hiking resume and some some tales of adventure out there. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Music 
Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Ballsack, uh, which I think is an interesting trail name for the daughter of a pastor, Jocelyn Smith. <laughs> yeah, I get a, my grandma even appreciates it, I think. <laughs> oh, good, good. I mean, your, your parents, your parents are aware and your family is aware that your trail name is Ballsack. Absolutely. I'm a very, very honest woman. Okay. Now, is, do you have the same experience I do that when I get back off the trail, I, I, I go to a family function and I will want to talk about my, my experience and the trails and show pictures and everything. And they see me coming and they walk the other way. They don't make eye contact. They say, Oh, this guy, here he comes again. He's going to talk about trails. He can talk about, talk about, you know, how great it is out there. And and they, they head the other direction. Is that, is that your experience as well? I, you know, I think it's a little different for me. My, my family's super supportive of my adventures, but I think as soon as I start talking about it, they get that like glazed over look where it's like, she said, slack pack, what the hell does that mean? And like base weight and all these things start coming up and they're like, Oh wow, that sounds really exciting. Just like very blank generic answers. And they don't even care about, you know, the pictures of the friends and the, all the weird stuff you did. They're just like, wow, it was really beautiful. That mountain, blah, blah, blah. So I know that they support it, but I don't know that they necessarily want to hear me gush about it the way I want to. No, maybe the secret is that doc needs to wear a hot dog shirt to family (laughs) to to engage people. Absolutely. Hot dogs do bring up a lot of topic of conversation. And it turns out that wearing a hot dog shirt is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And if you were listening to this podcast and not, and not uh, watching on YouTube, well, tune into YouTube and you'll, you'll, you'll figure out why we're talking about hot dog shirts. (laughs) <laughs> and while i've got you on that topic uh one of the questions that i occasionally ask in the hiking pool which is not related to hiking whatsoever is is a hot dog a sandwich Ooh, that's an age-old question i'm gonna yeah. combat that question with a different question for you though if that's okay and that's is cereal a soup because i think that they go in the same category like why why a why are we asking these questions and then why is there so much controversy about them? Different sides of the same coin. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And without answering either one of them, we're going to move on. 
All right. So you did the AT in 2021. What were the what were the statistics on your hike? What when did you leave? When did you finish? How many zeros? I started March 19th. I finished October 6th. I spent about seven months on the trail, very intentionally. Um, and as far as zeros, that's a that's a number I didn't keep track of. That would have been inappropriate if I knew how many zeros I took. I kind of had the the vision of I want to live on the trail and experience it. And I thought it was a once in a lifetime opportunity at that point. So I took advantage of every town. I wanted to explore the coast, like all of all of the states. So I spent a lot of time in town and then out of town. Okay. So you say very intentionally, you took seven months. This was on purpose. And it's because you wanted to, to get that kind of depth of experience. Absolutely. And, you know, there's, I had friends who they, I met in the beginning and they finished in August and then they're sitting there while I'm still in like, I don't know, Connecticut in August or whatever. And they're like, man, I wish I was still out on the trail. Like you look like you're having so much fun. And all I could think is I am and you're at home back to work while I'm still out here enjoying it. There's the saying, the last one to Katahdin wins. I really liked that saying. Oh, I like that. That's yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, last one to Katahdin wins. I I tell people that all the time because once it's over, it's over. You can't re you can't relive the same experience. So why are people in a rush unless they have a job they have to go back to or family or you know, um, kind of time frames on their their hikes? Now, Balsack, I know we have a set a set list of discussion points, but I'm going to jump around a little bit because I think it's appropriate. Um, you wanted to to very intentionally take your time with this seven months on the AT. That's longer than most. Uh, you wanted to experience and kind of suck the marrow out of of the entire trip. Um, the last one to Katahdin wins. I think that that sums it up. Yeah. What would what would Katahdin Ballsack whisper in the ear of Springer Mountain Ballsack? If you had the chance to kind of give yourself a preview or give yourself some advice, what, what would it have been? Ah, uh, ooh, that's a really that's a really good question. I think Katahdin Balsack would have told Springer Balsack to maybe uh, maybe not take so much alone time. I spent a lot of time alone in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and I got really sad. I got really sad in those states, but I had this had this vision of this solo adventure like I want to be remote in the woods and alone and experiencing and, and suffering in a in a good way by myself to challenge myself and I think that those those states were really challenging for me even though the terrain was easy because I was I was alone so I think I think Katata and Balsack would have told Springer Balsack like you don't need to be alone out there if you don't want to Okay. I'm going to take you through a, a low and a high, at least I think a low and a high. Uh, describe the emotions as you are approaching Katahdin. I mean, here you are, you've been on the trail for seven months. Um, I know from my experience, you know, the planning and looking forward to, you know, that is, that is a big part of the adventure. And mm -hmm. then as the adventure is winding down, what kinds of thoughts and emotions are going through you? 
I uh, I feel like I had a really special hike up Katahdin. Not to say that everyone's isn't special, but I had a friend, a really, really good friend of mine, Lemon, who we spent about 12 or 1300 miles together. And she and I have a really special bond. And I remember getting to the first rebar ladder on Mount Katahdin and thinking, if Lemon gets here, she's not going to want to keep going if she's alone. And I was like, I was in this space of Lemon. I know we hike together like every day, all day, but like, this is my chance to like have this mountain moment, me versus Mama K. I got to go up the mountain by myself. And I got to that ladder and something in my gut told me I needed to stop and wait for her. So we had this call where we would caca at each other and I'm sitting there waiting for maybe like 20 or 30 minutes. And I, I throw out a caca and I just hear her ball sack. Is that you? And she's like, Oh my God. I told myself if I didn't see you in the next five minutes, I was going to turn around and go back down. So her and I ended up climbing the rest of Mount Katahdin together and sharing this really like intense moment in each other's company of mentally and physically helping each other get to the top of the mountain and so in a way I felt I felt like I had shifted my end of my journey to help her in a way get to the top of the mountain because I just I knew I knew if I didn't wait for her she wasn't gonna go and she's told me that post post Mama K happening and when we got up to the you know you come up over the Hunts Trail and you're at this flat part before you end up summoning the rest and I was like I'm gonna like I'm gonna go we got up the hard part together and I'm gonna go to the rest of the mountain and I got to the sign and I didn't feel anything I was just kind of empty and I think a lot of hikers experience that it's like all of a sudden it's not it doesn't feel like an accomplishment it feels like a loss of something like you get to the end of this epic journey and it's just over all of a sudden. And not only is it over, but you have to turn around and go back down. Like, it's not like it's over and you get airlifted off and all of a sudden you're back home and life is great. So I kind of felt this weird feeling of like, I just helped my friend get there and we had this great time. And then all of a sudden everything it was over and it felt, it felt weird. I didn't feel necessarily accomplished at that point at all just hiked what 2250 miles and you don't feel accomplished that's that's uh <laughs> that's interesting yeah yeah i think the reality of of the journey ending kind of hit in a harder way than i had anticipated and you know i don't know if i was necessarily even looking for a sense of accomplishment out there but i never really i never really understood what i was looking for and i I don't think that I found it because I don't know what it was. Is post-trail depression a real thing? hundred percent real. The most real. <laughs> and how did you I think, cope? How, uh, how did you, how did you reintegrate? I had a really hard time. Um, I had a very, very hard time coming home after the AT. I, you know, prior to going out there, I kind of lost everything I had worked for in my life. So when I went home, I didn't go back to Burlington and I actually ended up moving in with my parents. So all of a sudden, not only was I done with this adventure that I just spent half of the year doing, but I was in a new place with no support systems outside of my family, no friends. Um, I didn't know anybody in the town. 
And I was just, I felt very, very isolated. And I think that was a big mistake of mine was moving back somewhere that wasn't where home technically was for me. So it was hard. It was a big struggle. I didn't enjoy my first couple of weeks being back and I would sit around and feel useless. The Roomba in my parents' room terrified me. I used my headlamp to get around the house. Like I refused to go back to reality. And how'd, how'd you pull yourself out? I mean, over time, you kind of have to, you know, your choices in not only like post-trail depression, but regular depression are if you're not working towards being better and working towards uh, helping yourself, it's never going to change. So you're the only one in charge of your feelings and how you think and how you process things. And if you just shut down, it's never going to, it's never going to change. So I spent a lot of time writing reaching out to other hikers, um, just making sure like I wasn't absolutely insane. And when, when I found out other people were struggling with these feelings of like uselessness and lack of excitement and lack of motivation, it kind of made me feel a lot more normal than I was feeling at that time. Now, Balsack, I, I feel, I feel like we're friends, you know, we're on a first name basis, Balsack, Doc, uh, <laughs> I want to follow up. Um, you mentioned depression. Do you, do you suffer from depression? Have you had your experience with that? I would say maybe not like actively. It comes and goes for me, but I had a long period in my life, specifically in my uh, early and late teenage years where depression was really, really intense for me. Um, and at that time, there wasn't a lot of like research about it. And there wasn't a lot of information or resources that felt like they were really useful. So I spent a lot of time kind of self-processing things, which I think ended up being really beneficial for me in the future. Yeah. the, the <clears throat> I don't pretend to know anything or everything or whatever, but I know that the, I know that the human condition is a tough one and we all process it a little bit differently and we, we struggle at times you think um, your experience out on the trail and out in nature had a beneficial impact on on that part of you? I definitely think so. Um, something that happens when you're out on the trail is you kind of realize that all these things that maybe, I don't like to say run away because a lot of people think you're running away from something when you're going on a long distance trail for whatever reason that that is something that a lot of people ask. But I feel like I feel like I just learned that the things that happen in regular life are no different than on the trail. You can't escape your own problems in your own circles and your own habits. So when you're out on the trail, it's just you and your walking path. It really isolates um, the things that you struggle with. And it, it turns into this space of you versus yourself. And at that point, you can really start diagnosing and looking inwards of like, okay, why do I feel this way about this? And where is that actually coming from? And there's no distractions and there's no white noise that's kind of telling you otherwise. Yeah, I think in everyday society, average life, what would you call it? The the human world? The human world. <laughs> there are a lot of distractions and um, you don't spend a lot of time taking a deep look at yourself um, out on the trail, I mean, it's a very simplified way of living. I mean, you're doing the same thing every day, right? You're 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 breaking camp, you're walking, you're you're eating, you're setting up camp, you're sleeping, and then you're you're doing the same thing day after day. 
and allows for some introspection and to figure some stuff out. And we've talked to a lot of people on this podcast who were out there figuring stuff out and um, just getting away from the distraction and mm. taking a, a close look at, at themselves. Absolutely. That's one of the greatest spaces that can be made for that. Okay. Let's, let's uh, spiral back up. And uh, what, what is, what is a highlight from the AT before we move on to the PCT? What, what is a favorite moment Ooh. or memory from the AT? Yeah. I was thinking about this today um, when I was thinking about us talking about this. And the, the first thing that came to mind was the first time I cowboy camped. Um, we had hiked into the NOC on the AT and we decided we were going to hike out not really realizing that the climate on the NOC absolutely sucks and it's horrible. And the shelter, I think there's a shelter like eight or nine miles out. And we were not trying to do that at all. Like we had had beers at the NOC. We ate so much food and we had a friend, uh, one of our hiking partners had a friend visiting. So we didn't want to absolutely kill him. And one of the sweet, like older man that had been hiking around us told us about the spot and he's like, yeah, there's this rock outcropping on the right. There's a water source and there's like some tent sites. And we're like, yeah, cool. He's like, it's about four miles out. We're like, perfect. So we all decide that we're going to cowboy camp that night. And we get there and there's this beautiful, like beautiful rock cave thing happening. And I have night terrors on the trail. <laughs> That's like something that happens to me I don't know what it is so we decide to cowboy camp there's six of us and we're all lined up like ducks like everybody's right next to each other like squishy sardine style and I feel something walk across us in the middle of the night and I remember slapping lemon and I'm like lemon the deer just ran across us right and she like looks up she's like yeah ball sack that was a deer and we go back to bed and it's like not a big deal or whatever. And I go back to bed and I'm, I have this horrible dream about this green, scary woman coming out of the rocks and she's in charge of the mountain lions and she's telling all the mountain lions to come get us. And all I know is that I woke up in the middle of the night and started telling everybody that the mountain lions were flanking from the left. And I woke everybody up to tell them that. And in the morning, it was just this ridiculous conversation of like, was there really a deer? Did Were there actually mountain lions? And everybody just kept picking on me for the rest of the trail. Like, oh, they're flanking from the left. So that's one of my favorite memories. Because after that, I was not only addicted and terrified of cowboy camping, but it, I just can't get the image of this like green woman out of my head ever. <laughs> so other than green, what did she look like? She was like, like I don't know. Imagine let's say pirates of the caribbean the like witch doctor lady i think it's in the second movie and she's got like these dreads and she's she's like got this evil snarl and she's very intense and this is like that face of this woman but she's like illuminated in this creepy green like halloween mask <laughs> man hiking with ball sack that's next level i mean there's some, there's some excitement in store if you go hiking with ball sack for sure. You never know what I'm going to do in the middle of the night. That's for sure. All right. So the following year, 2022, you just, you finished the AT in, in 2021 and you decided to do what? 
I decided it, it made so much sense to just like keep hiking. So I applied for a PCT permit thinking, okay, if I get a permit, I'll go and I'll go to wherever I'll use one computer. Cause some people set up like eight computer screens trying to get a PCT permit. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm going to set up one. And if I get it, I, it's meant to be, I'm supposed to go. And I was like in the portal, got the permit application within 20 minutes. And uh, I just thought, I'm like, all right, uh, sweet. That was the easiest thing that ever happened. So yeah, committed to the PCT in late November, like not even a month after I got uh, off the trail. Now you're a seasoned through hiker at this point. I mean, you've got 2,200 miles plus under your belt. Uh, do you know what you're getting into with the PCT? How, how, did, how, did, how did it go? I had no idea. I did absolutely zero research. Um, I spent so much time obsessing about the Appalachian Trail. I watched all the YouTube videos and everything. And when I got out to some of the spots, it was anticlimactic because I had like seen it 18 times in, in some YouTube. So I had this anti-research opinion on the PCT. I'm like, I want it all to be a surprise. I had never seen the mountains in California, never been to the states of Oregon and Washington. So it felt like this epic journey that was this huge mystery. And of course, like I did research certain things like the Sierras and, you know, what kind of things I would need as far as gear, um, ice axes, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But outside of that, I really just kind of showed up at the Mexican or Mexico, California border down in Campo and was like, all right, here we go doing, doing this PCT thing. And did it go as expected? Absolutely not. It was, it was not, not anything I expected. So prior to going out there, I had created this goal in my mind that I wanted to do a speed hike. I wanted to do an hundred day through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail. So wait a second, wait a second, Balsack. This is a huge departure from your previous philosophy. I mean, you were very intentionally taking seven months to do AT. (laughs) Now you're going to do a hundred days on the PCT. Yeah, I uh, I really got it in my mind that I wanted to have intention behind my hike. And, and on the AT, my intention was to take my time. And on this journey, I was like, how far can I push my limits? How, how many miles can I do in one day? How far can my body take me at this high capacity, like elevated exercise every day? And so I went out there with that in mind, which means basically you have to hike a marathon a day minimum if you want to do a hundred day through hike with very, very little zeros. And I started the trail that way. I did a 20 mile day my first day. I did 22 miles the second day. I ramped it up slowly to 26 plus miles for the first like 650 miles up to Kennedy Meadow South. I was cruising, I would say. Um, and it sucked. <laughs> It absolutely sucked. And then uh, when I got to Kennedy Men. Why did did it suck? (laughs) For me, it it was this lack of enjoying it. I didn't remember anything. I didn't remember the days anymore. Like everything kind of blurred into this kind of weird space of, all right, like I'm doing the speed hike, but I'm not meeting the same people two times in a row. I don't have a huge like trail family or connection to the, to the people on the trail because 
I'm just like blasting through it. And so many people said to me, they're like, oh, it's nice to meet you, but like, we're never going to see you again if this is your goal. And that like hearing that, it was just kind of like, ugh, I didn't, I didn't like that image. So I started telling people, I'm like, oh, well, you never know where you're going to see a ball sack. Um, and that surprised a lot of people ain't, when ain't they that did. The, ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people say that just in general. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I got to Kennedy Meadow South, and my friend Skippy, who was also on a tear with me, she was like, "Let's do this crazy hiking crap that you're doing." Where I'm like, "Sweet, someone else wants to do that. This is great." But she had to go home for graduation for ten days. And I was making this decision of, do I want to go into the Sierra mountain range by myself or do I wait for Skippy? So I decided um, and convinced many other people around me that we needed to take a zero week in Kennedy Meadows South, which actually ended up turning into 14 days of zeroing in Kennedy Meadows South. So I'd like to think that I was the queen of the Zeeks on the PCT because I took actually many more Zeeks following that after I threw my intentions kind of out the window. <laughs> so it was not going to be a hundred days. Absolutely not. It, it could have been, but it just, it was never meant to be. <laughs> and did you finish the PCT? I did not finish the PCT. Um, I had a lot of side questing and a lot of adventures. And when I got into Washington, I got about a hundred miles up to Trout Lake and we had gone Sobo back from Trout Lake back to Cascade Locks for trail days. And I had been denying this in my mind, but I was having a lot of feet issues and I was telling myself, well, it's your shoes. You need new shoes. So I would get new shoes. And then I was like, well, the shoes aren't, it's not the shoes it's something else. And I'm like, well, you did roll your ankle the other day. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. And I was totally in denial of the fact that I was battling a, an injury. And I actually, one day I was hiking with my friend Shredder and I heard a pop in my foot. And I thought to myself, that's new. And that night it swelled up. It was black and blue. And I'm like, all right, that's really new. <laughs> And it terrified me and I, I didn't really want to tell anyone. And, and I kind of like said to Shredder, I'm like, yeah, my foot feels kind of weird. And I went from like doing 30 plus miles a day to struggling to do 15. And all of a sudden I'm realizing going into trail days, like coming to this reality of, I don't know if I can hike anymore. So I ended up, I don't like to use the word quit because I don't, I don't feel like I quit the trail. I feel like I paused pausing, my through pausing the trail. That's right. Yeah. I, I paused it with 400 miles left. Okay. And do you have, do you have plans to go back and, and resume that? Not right now. I think that, um, I got a lot out of the PCT, but I don't have this like innate feeling that I need to like go back immediately next year and finish it. Now, in the moment, how difficult was that? Because I know that once you publish something, once you speak it out into existence, you tell the world that, hey, I'm going to do the PCT. Yeah. There is a lot of, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's your own mental, it's your own mental mm -hmm. pressure. I mean, I think the, the majority of people don't care whether or not you finish it, but I no. think in, in our minds, you know, once you, you said you're going to do something, I think you have this pressure on yourself to do it. 
And now when yeah. you find yourself 400 miles short and an obvious injury that's preventing you, I mean, what kind of, what kind of impact did that have on you emotionally or mentally? It was really hard. Um, at first I, after trail days, me and two of my friends, Siren and Shredder, we got a hotel room to just kind of recoup before heading back to trail. And I didn't really realize that I was done until we got to that hotel room. And I was like, I can't go anymore. And we sat down and, and I talked with them and we cried and they were like, well, Balsak, you've been talking about stopping for a long time. And there had been a series of events that happened prior to being injured that kind of had already been in my mind. I had a, I got really sick in Sierra city. I had an allergic reaction and had to turn around and hike back like eight miles from the beautiful mountains that I had just got climbed up into. And I was just like done mentally. And I kept telling myself to get to the California, Oregon border. And then I would reassess what I wanted at that point. And turned out 50 miles from the California, Oregon border, there was a fire and I couldn't cross over into it anyway. So this whole series of chaos happened. And when I finally started processing that I was done with the trail, it didn't feel as horrifying as if it was this instantaneous like thing taken away from me so I think that in my mind I had been done with it for longer than I had admitted to myself but really the scary thing which I still haven't even done is that the people on the trail knew this but the people in my home life and the people who follow me on social media are like rooting for me and they're like out there being super supportive and a lot of those people still don't even know that I'm home and I'm off the trail and that I didn't finish the trail and I haven't quite mentally processed and put together this information to say it out into the universe and I think that's really where the struggle is for me is is admitting in my in my space which I like to use as a creative outlet I use Instagram as a creative outlet I haven't shared that on that space and I think that's going to be kind of the heartbreaking moment for me of like admitting to the universe that uh I didn't finish the hike ball sack am I am I understanding this correctly you have not put anything out on Instagram up to this point about not being on the trail anymore I I put up a story like two days ago that said hey some of you might know I'm not on the Oregon coast trail anymore. And I'm also not on the Pacific crest trail more coming at you soon. And that's literally all I said. So if nobody saw that, they have no idea. So yeah, this is the first time actually like admitting publicly to, to you or to other people that I did not finish my PCT journey. How does it feel? I don't know. Weird, (laughs) like good, but also like, I'm like, crap what am I doing why didn't and and you know it's a why didn't I finish the trail but also the monument is on fire right now so I couldn't finish even if I wanted to well I'm glad I'm you know I feel honored that you've shared that here for the first time and um you know if you don't put anything out between now and when this episode airs I mean this might be this might be how you do it I mean this is that's kind of great because I don't know how to put into words uh I don't, I like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. I've written multiple different things about how I Irish goodbye the PCT, which is a, a common thing I, I did on the trail is Irish goodbye in certain situations. So, uh, yeah. So what is Irish goodbye? Is that where you slip out without telling anybody goodbye? Yep. 
Got it. Yep. And I've done that multiple times (laughs) to people I was hiking with, to situations. I'm just, I'm kind of a classic, like, all right, I'm out of here and I'll just sneak away, pack up my stuff in the middle of the night, disappear. Like it's kind of a thing I do. What, what, what can we read into that about uh, Balsack? She does a lot of Irish goodbying. You, you, you avoid, you avoid the tough topics. You, you, you uh, avoid confrontation. I don't think it's that I'm avoiding anything. I think it's more like I'm making a decision that makes sense for me. So one example of a, an Irish goodbye was we were in Etna, California, which is 50 miles from the California, Oregon border. And we had heard about this rodeo that was happening on saturday and we had gotten there on wednesday and we're like we can't take two three zeros and it seemed like a lot but all of a sudden it's saturday and we're still in the town waiting for this rodeo and we knew fires were going on people were freaking out and like hitching ashland and um in the middle of the rodeo i just saw the mountains disappear because of smoke and that really stressed me out and there was ash in the sky and my breathing was changing so I got up in the middle of the rodeo. I went pee and I told Shredder, I was like, Shredder, I think I'm going to leave. And we were with a group of like 30 people at that point. And she's like, okay, like do whatever you need to do. And I was like, okay. And then I literally, I left, I called the shuttle and we, we left in the middle of the night. I didn't get to Medford Ashland area until like 10 30 at night. Um, and I got all these messages from the people that had been at the rodeo. And they're like, where did you go? And I'm like, oh, I'm in, I'm in Ashland. They're like, what the hell? I'm like, I'm sorry. I like, I had to go. I just got this gut feeling and I needed to do. It was good for me. All right, Balsack, I don't want you leaving before the end of the episode. All right. Can I get a commitment? <laughs> Why do you think the door is the right end? behind? <laughs> I know. I'm nervous now. I'm nervous. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, doc. All right. Hey, um, I know one last discussion point here is uh, social media versus reality. I mean, Instagram, do do we think that that's a, a realistic perspective on everything that's happening out there on the trail? I mean, I, it's it's a lot of the beauty. There's a lot of beauty on the trail. Give you that. But there Absolutely. are other instances where maybe it isn't, it isn't always so beautiful or always so um, epic. Um, what do you want to say about that? Social, social media versus reality. Yeah. So there's this like kind of ongoing joke that I'm an influencer, which I don't identify with at all. Um, so I've been kind of put into this this funny position where I have people who are following my journey and I try to be as realistic as possible. Like I'm a raw person, if, if you have gathered that from talking to me. And I want people to know that the trail isn't this like, it's not this magical place filled with like rainbows and butterflies and every day is not this magical, exciting, like epic journey, even though the views are there and you're experiencing this awesome thing. Like some, sometimes it sucks. And I think that a lot of social media is just reflecting this, this beautiful part of the journey. And there are people who are really good about showing the in-betweens, but a lot of those people don't have any like pull in the world, I would say. So I get complimented a lot from people who are following my journey and they're like, thank you for just being raw about stuff. Thank you for sharing your struggles. And I wish that there was more of that because I, I think it's really easy to, to get caught up in this fantasy that people who are doing these long through hikes or hard, intense trails or technical climbing and stuff that they're in this, this space that is so like beautiful and happy 
and that there are these perfect people on this perfect journey and it's honestly like a lot of people are really broken out there <laughs> broken going out there or broken because of the trail yeah it's almost it's not helpful is it i mean having this this idealized depiction of life on the trail posted out there on Instagram and then you go out and try and do it and it doesn't match up with that with with that idealized version and you're thinking what am I doing wrong I yeah it, it is almost it's it's counterproductive it is I had a friend last year who I had I had posted this video of this horrible rainstorm that I was in and my my tent stakes came out my tent poles came out like there is my sleeping pad was literally floating in my tent and I had posted this video about it and my friend Lori she messaged me and she's like why didn't I realize that you are hiking even in the rain and that like you have to like if it rains there's nothing you can do about it I'm like yeah like I I can't just sit around it's either I'm walking in the rain or I'm not walking at all and that was a big kind of like mental switch for me about social media like a lot of people really just think and see it as this magical journey and like you're saying it, it puts this wrong perspective and you know somebody somebody who's just getting into the backpacking world might be like wow this is the most exciting thing ever and not realize that the universe is ultimately going to poop on you and and it's going <laughs> to yeah, I used to say that it, it is, uh, you know, being out there in, in the backcountry, it is moments of beauty interspersed by hours of just suckiness. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, like the, the PCT is so different from the AT in that way where you're surrounded by something beautiful every day and you don't really have to work very hard for it. Like you wake up and you're somewhere beautiful on the PCT and the AT is, you know, surrounded by this green tunnel, but it, it made it a really different and an interesting journey out on the PCT because the suffering that you do go through is really different. It's, you know, the heat, the fires, the lack of water. And, you know, you see all these epic views and you think, I want to do that. And then you realize, I don't want to carry for what is 40 miles worth of water. What does that mean? And it, it just messes with you. Yeah. All right. Hey, what, what's next for Balsack? What's the next adventure? Ooh, Currently, my next adventure is to save some money, and then I think I am. Uh, I think I'm collecting myself up to move somewhere new, get out of Vermont. So, oh, okay. We thinking south. We thinking west. We thinking southwest. I'm going west. I got to go west. Yeah, I have uh, my heart set on Utah right now. Oh wow! Yeah, talk about a a playland for adventure, outdoor adventure. I mean, Utah doesn't get, doesn't get much better than that. Absolutely. The PCT taught me that maybe I don't need to be doing huge long distance trails, but I'd rather do smaller technical hikes. So I think Utah will really cater towards that for me in the next couple of years. If you want a technical hike, I'm going to point you in the direction of the Hey Duke. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe one day. (laughs) Listen to the episode with ginger balls and the Hey Duke trail. Crazy. I will. Craziness. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for people who hike that trail. I, uh, I, it's a beast. Yes. Hey, Balsack, you know where we are? It's that time. I have to tell you something epic. That's right. The pro tip inside <laughs> of the week. It's the pro tip inside of the week. That's right, half calf. Uh, it's my daughter there with the uh, the transitions. 
Um, it's your turn to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us? Um, I'm going to share the biggest wisdom I learned this year. And that's that instead of maybe, you know, if your goal is to go out on a long distance trail and you're not sure if you want to finish it or how far you'll get to look at the trail as a highway. And, uh, and by saying a highway, I mean a highway for adventure. So that path is there. It's going to be there. And you have the option to either continue on that path, just like you do if you're driving across the country and you're, you know, taking one route all the way, but there's all these side adventures that I think that people ignore. And I just, as someone who really loves a zero week or my <laughs> days in town, I really encourage people to kind of look outside of just the trail itself. Cause when you open yourself up to all these other things, that's when some of the real magic on the trail happens. Or a zero fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> 14 days. Yeah. Yikes for me. <laughs> nice. That's great. I love that. The trail as a highway, all kinds of uh, exits, on ramps, off ramps. That's great. Exactly. Okay. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Balsack. I just have, I just have fun saying that. Uh, I want to thank her for joining us this week. Balsack, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Um, the best way to keep up with me is through Instagram. My handle is body by Balsack, all lowercase. And uh, I'm working on updating it to to get up to point with uh, me quitting the trail and letting go of that. And uh, then I'll start posting some of my winter adventures, which will be really exciting up in Vermont. Now, wait a second. Body by Balsack. What is this other account? Did I, did I stumble upon the wrong account about the, the wild Jocelot? Oh, that's like, I don't have my, my actual name on my Instagram. So where most people have like their Instagram handle and then right. their name below, my name is, adventures of a wild jocelot okay all right but it is body by Balsack. yep that's the actual handle <laughs> okay all right remember to check out the pod on social media as well we're on facebook youtube instagram twitter and tiktok no tiktok Balsack. you know i'm i'm not a tiktoker i barely know how to use my phone <laughs> <laughs> all right and if you have comments or clips you want to share you can send it to me at john at gmail.com the Adventure Media Recommendation. All right, Balsack. I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, something that's going to help keep our listeners connected to Outdoor Adventure. We're calling this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have for us? Um, I actually have it right here because I'm really excited about this. Um, I went to college for a semester and we had to read this book called The Element by Ken Robinson. And this book changed my life. It's literally about all these crazy famous people who found their way. And um, it's all this, it, it basically it's just about how you find your tribe of people. So in is that, my, is that, is that Sir Ken Robinson? Might be Ken Robinson, PhD. You know, he's done a couple of TED talks and I was very, I was very saddened to hear that he passed away just in the last huh. couple of years. Really? Yeah. I if, didn't if, know you watch, that. if you watch his TED talks, he's a very engaging person about, I mean, the one that really sticks out to me, he talks about education and he talks about schools and how, you know, when he was a kid, uh, 
they wanted to put him in special ed or they wanted to categorize him and it, it, it they didn't realize what his talent was and it's all about finding your talent finding your finding yes. your passion so i, I yep. think you know what from the way you described it i think it's the same same guy yeah that sounds like it because yeah this book it's just, it's basically helping people find where they fit in in the world and that was something that really helped me at the time that I read it and I've read it 8,000 times it's falling apart you can tell <laughs> I love this book <laughs> nice the element by Ken Robinson check it out absolutely what have we not asked you okay before we wrap things up just one more segment for you called what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about what did we miss tonight um you know there's there's one story that I'd love to share um during my strange speed hiking intentions I ended up doing a 50 mile day to get to McDonald's <laughs> and that was a, a really funny just a funny day we had gone to we had had an intention of doing a 30 mile day our first 30 ever and we ended up going to a hot spring and then we went and got pizza somewhere and somewhere in this weird sense of time we decided that it made sense to overnight hike to the Cajon Pass McDonald's, which would have been a 50 mile day. And uh, motivated by Big Macs, we made it 50 miles in one day. That was uh, that was my my biggest day on the trail. And probably one of the funniest things because we ended up zeroing in the McDonald's parking lot. <laughs> There's a lot of different motivations out there. I think one of the most powerful motivations has got to be a Big Mac. Absolutely. Cheeseburgers changed my life, man. <laughs> Another candidate for the name of the episode. Cheeseburgers <laughs> changed my life. I think a lot of people could relate to that. Definitely. I know I'm not alone there. Nope. All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Freaky Mirror studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Balsack? Nah, they hear me yell at them enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you gave your mom's number out to a rando in the pickle bar earlier. The trail is the trail. Embrace <laughs> the sock.